Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Boxed Out Podcast. This is episode three. I'm your host, Evan, and the other host, Xavier. Yeah, hi. And once again, we're starting with the Formula One section. Yeah, you already know. As always. Um, This episode is very, very late. It was actually supposed to be... It was supposed to come out Monday of this week. And then it was supposed to come out Tuesday and then Wednesday. But uh, Evan kept fucking sleeping. We we had technical difficulties on on both ends. It was a sad experience. No, Evan kept fucking sleeping. So we're here. if, If you're wondering why the episode was so late, it was because of him. Okay. Anyways. (laughs) Anyways. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Formula One. Uh, so, Miami happened. Um, there's a lot to unpack oh. there, I suppose. So, because I started episode two the way that I did, I have to start episode three similarly. God damn you, Lando Norris. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And not even Lando. Not even Lando. McLaren as a whole. I came in last, I say last week, but it was more like last podcast now. Yep. And um, I was fully adamant that McLaren was going to be cemented in the top eight. I mean, I, I thought it was happening. I thought it didn't matter. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I'm so sad. I'm disappointed. I'm sad. It is really uh, disappointing from the perspective of a, of a McLaren fan and also the perspective of um, a Daniel Ricciardo or Orlando Norris fan. Mm-hmm. Um. Particularly, what is is Ricardo's really, had, a, had a very rough few weeks. It's it's been very very brutal for him, like uh, obscenely. Um, but yeah, so Daniel Ricardo finished thirteenth in Miami, um, and Lando Norris, as you know, had the DNF. Unfortunately, um, the craziest part to me though is that uh, in Florida, it's quite hot. Florida is one of the hotter places in in the United States, right? So, you know. Saving weight makes sense, but why would you cut back on the water of your drivers to save weight in one of the hottest races of the season? That was something. It's like a big talk, and everyone was freaking out about it on uh, on Twitter. But it's like everyone was like, they're literally robbing their drivers of of water. I guarantee you, the drivers were probably the ones that recommended it. Well, yeah, but right. but it's like I don't know. It's it's really really weird, um, and it just goes to show the extremes that everyone's going to just to meet uh, the weight requirements. Um, and and it, it gives you a perspective on, you know, how, like, uh, dedicated the drivers are to every, you know, millimeter of space. Right, you know? absolutely. Um, it's literally, they're, I mean, they're fighting for, for hundreds here. So right, exactly. literally anything helps. I mean, you've seen Williams strip basically 75% of the paint off their car. So that's And been... speaking of paint... Um, Man, I'm not going to have sources for this because I forgot. But uh, I do know or I did read that Ferrari is changing their paint to make it, I think, 0.7 kilograms lighter. Which is finding good. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and say you're talking out of your ass until you pull up a, a source for it just well, for I, sake of, of, of I, uh, saving yeah, our own asses. Yeah. But, but I, know, I know I read it somewhere. What I, I do know is that Ferrari... Um, and the next coming upgrades, same with Red Bull, are going to be cutting back on weight. I think Ferrari is supposed to lose like two or three, three kilograms. Or oh, I thought it was three to five. I no, Red Bull's there. three to five. Red Bull's then, supposed oh, to. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, Red Bull's supposed to be losing three to five, but uh, Ferrari's also losing. Um, 
I think I, I also believe Spain is their first major upgrade package, so it'll be interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. there. Um, but without getting too too far ahead, um, Max Verstappen, st- stellar performance in Miami. I really don't think there's anything that could be said about that. Um, and Ferrari really, it's 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 really weird because um, back when Vettel was dominating, right? Red Bull's philosophy with the car was they didn't have the engine to keep up with everyone else. So what they did right. was they doubled down on downforce and made the quickest car they could through the corners so that Vettel would inevitably put the car on pole like it was fastest in one lap, and then he'd scamper off into the distance and get outside of DRS range. Um, Ferrari has done something similar with their car. They've got a very, very high downforce setup. Um if you look at the comparisons in in one lap over the season, in the slow to medium corners, it's very Ferrari dominated. Um, yep. But the problem with that is is it's been really rough on tire degradation, which isn't usually characteristic of high downforce setups because without the downforce, you tend to slide, and that will kill your tires. So it's really well, weird to see the Ferrari uh, with such a high downforce setup struggling with tire degradation like that. And yeah, Red Bull's gone completely the other way. They've focused purely on straight line speed, and it's really worked out for them. Mm-hmm. Like, in Miami, they they were perfectly fine with giving Ferrari the, the 1-2 because they knew that Max and Checo were going to make the best out of that straight line speed. And uh, another thing I want to talk about is Mercedes had a really good weekend, all things considered. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And as expected, I think I would say. Also, Alex Albon. <sighs> Listen, I think I I want to I think for the past three so, episodes I've just been spamming Albon prop, but. Well, so if we're going to give props, then we we first want to have to talk about my little my little happy boy of the season, Esteban Ocon, who himself placed eighth. Yeah, and he had a good he had a good result as well. Stroll, who landed some points, Lance Strulovic, or if you will, landed a point. Lance Strulovic. He's actually my favorite F one driver. I'm just kidding. I can't stand him, but uh, yeah, no, he he did have a really good weekend. Um, it was good to get the point, and then <laughs> yeah, Sebastian Vettel with the DNF is very unfortunate. We'll we'll get more into that later. There cause... was a lot of DNFs. Yeah, there de- there were there were five DNFs. Uh, I think I was about to say I think there was six or five. Yeah, my guy Guan Yu Zhou was unfortunately oh. one of them. Yeah, um, that one that one was sad. Pierre Gasly as well, and and this is something I want to talk about is Pierre Gasly has been goddamn shocking this season. I mean, <laughs> absolutely shocking, because well, so. Where do you see the trajectory of his career going? Because, you know, he, he underperformed at Red Bull. It's a good point of topic because I think he's out of contract after this year. So Is he? Yeah. Uh, I believe I, we that... We might have looked at this before. Yeah, I, I believe he's out of contract the, after the end of this year. Um, uh, runs to the end of the 2023 season. End of the 2023. Okay, so at the end of 2023, he'll be technically a free agent. Um but the problem with that is, is presumably uh, Alpine are going to lock Alonso in for probably another two years, mm-hmm. um, which means that... Even though that's a bad idea. I disagree. Uh, anyways, um, 
the the problem with that is Pierre Gasly really only has a, a handful of options when it comes to uh, where he can go. His choices are he can sit in that Alpha Tower team until they inevitably usher him out to bring their new talent in, or which I think comes sooner rather than later. For sure, uh, McLaren sacks Daniel Ricciardo and for some reason doesn't sign Pato Award or Colton Herta and decides to sign Pierre Gasly, which would be really fucking weird. Lando and, and Pierre. Oh. Yeah, that would be goddamn horrific. Um, and then his. Uh, honestly, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Mercedes might try to grab him if Lewis Hamilton retires anytime soon. But um. No, I don't. I don't think I see that happening. I think. Us. I think he's still here for another Mercedes three seasons. Well, I was gonna say, you know, if, if the Mercedes is, you know, mid-level performing for the next two three years, which I don't see happening. I think the only scenario in which Hamilton leaves the sport is if George Russell, like, kicks his teeth in regularly. I think that's the only scenario in which he leaves. Mm-hmm. But, on yeah. like, it, just looking at his options, holistically, there's really, really not much. So, uh, it, Pierre obviously eyeing up the Red Bull return. It's never going to happen. He needs to just – he needs to stop. Because that that's – honestly, that's what frustrates me so much about Pierre is he's so fucking entitled. Like – for some reason, he thinks that he deserves that Red Bull seat, and he doesn't. He he went into the Red Bull in 2019, got lapped by his teammates, and that same teammate went on to win the race in the same exact car. So, for you to be putting up results like that, and sure, we could say that his st- his second stint will probably go better, but the thing is, right, like, he insulted Adrian Newey pretty much to his face. And the entire time he was just bitching and whining about the car. And it was like, like, dude, at the end of the day, that's not how you secure your spot in a top team. It's just not how you go about doing that. So it's really, really disappointing, um, Pierre Gasly. And if Yuki Tsunoda keeps destroying him the way that he's doing. uh, I don't know where Yuki placed, I want to say 11th or something. He was 12th. Okay. Yes, you were close. And Fernando Alonso was ahead of him. Uh, uh, um, uh, I know how you feel about Alonzo. Uh, but yeah, for me, uh, I see unless Pierre starts delivering some incredible results, uh, I honestly could see next year being his last year in the sport. Um, because oh, yeah. Yuki's young. Pierre is still young, but he's getting not young. And then they have Yuri, Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson, and those are two top-tier talents that deserve a spot in F1 as much as anyone else, to be honest. So, it it's really... Pierre Gasly's on thin ice. He's He's got to start delivering results. I think Yuki Tsunada's really coming to his own this season. I think it's been really yep. cool to see what he's he's done so far, but... And I think, I think just like we said, uh, maybe episode one, it feels like, that Yuki was just going to kind of get more consistent as the season went on, because he did start kind of rocky, but I think he's done really well so far no yeah i think he had a good race yeah, last he's, weekend he's regardless of placing 12 and i think he's doing good i, I like yuki a lot I, agree. I root for him i agree um what i want your opinion on is what do you think what do you think is gonna happen to daniel ricardo so it's weird and and i was gonna actually talk about that when you said um something about uh you know because we we're talking about given the fact that if they move Daniel, maybe Pierre goes to McLaren, which right. would never happen. It's a big if. But, right. Um, I think 
Daniel has, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm going to look up his contract. Um, just so I can know. Uh, also until the end of 2023. Um, see, it's weird. Is it really the end of 2023? Unless he got extended. I'm, I, I, I felt like it was to the end of this year because they signed him on a two-year and they got him in 2021. So presumably that would have ran through the 2021 season and the 2022 season. But after that, that should theoretically be up. Uh, the new contract means McLaren has a stable driving pairing until at least the end of 2023 with Ricardo also remaining under contract till the end of the 2023 season. Interesting. Via article after uh, Lando's deal. Um, I don't know. Because he's been very, very disappointing. And I mean, you know, you look at it and he's getting beaten the points by uh, Ocon and Magnuson. Ocon, you can maybe argue for being beat. I mean, even if it's a few points, being beat by a Haas in points in a McLaren, it's just a poor performance, especially after, you know. And when your teammates, when your teammates got a 24 point advantage on you, it's not a good look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I said nothing about, you know, Val Perry because, you know, it doesn't matter what car he's in. He'll be up there. For sure. For sure. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's disappointing to see because uh, I really I really like Ricardo, um, but unfortunately his performances just haven't been there. Not for McLaren. Um, well, and th- if you think about it from a from you know their trajectory, right? And they're they're slowly getting better, and you can see that in their car, right? Um, you know, maybe after next year, is it time to move on to somebody younger? You know, hungrier, looking to drive the shit out of that car that they develop. You well, know, so like, uh, here's where, here's where shit gets interesting because for the first time, I think in quite a long time, actually, they are looking outside of, of F1 and its junior categories. Because uh, as I mentioned earlier, Colton Herta and Pato Award, Pato Award uh, actually drives for the uh, McLaren IndyCar team. Yeah. Um, so he is a McLaren driver. And then Colton Herta is uh I think he drives for Chip Ganassi Racing. I'm not entirely sure. I might be wrong there. But um he's I, I just know that he's very, very good in IndyCar. Um and it's it would be really, really cool to see someone like Colton Herta, who is American, come into the sport, um, American driver. Because I, I don't think we've seen an American driver since fucking Scott Speed. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. It's cool to see that they're looking elsewhere. It would be I honestly seeing Pato well, you think about What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say I think about the way that the um <clears throat> the way that a lot of teams are really leaning youth um because again, those are the drivers that are trying to prove themselves day in day out, you know. Uh, and and I think McLaren again, based on their trajectory, they they look at you know these young guys that are all around the world, and they're like, we gotta find the guy who wants it the most, you know. I think all the teams Regardless are are setting up for for longevity because mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like uh, you're trying to find your Hamilton, really. Right, Sergio Perez is still very very good. L- Lewis Hamilton is still Lewis Hamilton. Um, 
And then, like, Fernando Alonso, while you're not going to agree with this, is still fairly quick. So, uh, and, and the same goes with, with Sebastian Vettel, even though he's he's been having a pretty nightmare season in that Aston Martin. Um, the okay. the common denominator between all of these guys is that they're pretty old. They're on their way out of the sport, and Daniel Ricciardo is getting there. So, uh, it's it's very, very likely that this we're not going to see this these drivers from this era much longer. Um but I think the primary focus in all of the teams is they're trying to focus on the future. They want a driver that they can lock in and develop all season long and just really put in the time that they need to, to develop a, a strong driver pairing because Lando Norris is still very young. So, yep. Um, you still got a lot of time in him. And then uh, Red Bull's still got probably like eight or so years with max i'd be willing to bet oh yeah no he's um maybe even more <laughs> he's, he's gonna have that lebron career no yeah for sure i could see that well honestly uh it's kind of alarming for me because if there's anyone i would like to see beat hamilton's records it's max verstappen and mm-hmm. he is he almost taught like after he won last year he said i don't really care anymore he's like as far as as i go i've completed f1 so it's like and, you know, it's a fair point. You know, the ultimate yeah. goal is to win the title. He's done that. But uh, it would definitely be nice to see him, like, try to chase down those records. Because I, I, he's on pace for it. Um, so that that would definitely be cool. But what would have to happen for that is Red Bull would have to continually develop the fastest car. And uh, with Ferrari and Mercedes, I don't necessarily see that happening. Yeah. I, I don't I think, think, I don't think we're going to see another era of Mercedes dominance. Um, probably for the next good while because there's a lot of big you have these regs everybody's got to get used to these regulations um presumably red bull and ferrari are going to be quick again next year and uh, mclaren will probably be closer uh alpine and alfa romeo will probably be closer as well and then mercedes is definitely going to be in the mix there's no way they won't be um and then in 2026 you have all of the volkswagen groups joining the sport so you're going to have porsche you're going to have audi um, and that's a that's a big switch up as well. So it's it's going to be very uncertain, I think, for the future. I don't think we're going to see dominance like we did the past seven years. But um, well, not even from just Mercedes. I think in general, you, we're looking at a period of time, almost for at least over the next ten years, where uh, at least two teams, if not three teams, every year are going to be in contention. Because there are so many talented drivers, there are so many cars that are now keeping up with one another. Right. You know, even if um, there are some that are clearly faster at the moment, I think just over the terms of development over the next decade or so, you just won't see any team that runs away with it unless, you know, circum or circumstances provide. Right. Um. Un- uh, this is pretty unrelated. This is going to be a big jump. Uh. But I was looking over at the at the race results in Miami and um. I saw his name, so I want to get this out there. Uh, Mick Schumacher is a fucking disappointment, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He is. He's just. He's not. He's not quite there. He's not. Um, one thing that's interesting to note with Mick is he's notoriously a uh, slow learner. He he's very slow to adjust. Once he does, he's very good. But um, you want to know you could, what you could do with that sentence? You could just cut it off a couple words in. He's just slow. <laughs> He's just slow. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. Uh, the Haas is, it's capable of scoring points, as Kevin Magnuson has shown. And, and proven. Right. 
Um, and Mick does not have any points. Um, and not a single one. In, not my, even one. in Miami, he kamikaze Sebastian Vettel. And <laughs> and uh, I, I dare you to tell me otherwise. Uh, yeah, right. You're right. And, and we're going to talk about that later. But yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely absurd. Um, I think that obviously bearing that last name, there's a lot, a lot of pressure that goes into that. I mean, sure. to, to be a Schumacher, it's, it's a big deal. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I, I think that exactly, exactly, exactly. You're occupying a, a seat in the top sport in the world. I mean, athletes will live in the shadow of their fathers that were that were also yeah. great athletes in the sports that they go into for like it's 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 a story we've seen time and time again um but you know there, there's really not an excuse for it obviously you can say the pressure is there and that's fair but he is a formula one driver and he's got to be able to step up to the challenge and so far he hasn't done but i i do think um that we may see something like a, an Albon situation here where he doesn't feel comfortable, he doesn't feel confident, therefore he's slow. But when he feels confident, when he feels comfortable, he could be very quick. Um, I'm wondering if scoring his first points might change that around. Maybe like... Because uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer if, if Albon won Austria 2020, he would still be in a Red Bull today. And I'm wondering if Mick may, may be the same. Because... He doesn't have any confidence in the car, um, and he's just he's just been having a pretty rough season thus far. So I mean, when you think about it, right? You, you know, you're a you're a driver who is who's trying to fight, you know, all of the 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 questions of can you do it, right? And then a couple of first races of the season, and your teammate is getting all the praise for coming back and driving the wheels off a car, you yeah. know, that you're that you can't handle. Literally I mean, been out I of the sport that, like for that, but, for know, a year, so. It's just it's. No, I do think that's a self confidence blow, but at the same time, I mean, uh, if you start slow, you're bound to finish slow. Right. No, I absolutely agree. So absolutely agree. Um, I think hopefully next year might be better for him, but I don't. I mean, oof. Yeah, it's Miami was bad. Miami was was bad. Pretty bad. It was pretty bad. It was really funny because uh, you. Vettel's known for, um, well, I guess he's not necessarily known for it, but he has had his fair share of radio outbursts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, one of the things that always happens is, is like, I think one of the things he said is, uh, are we playing ping pong or racing? Because he got hit with, with someone. Um, mm-hmm. Or he got hit by someone. And shit like that. Like, he he's blown up over the radio at drivers before. But when he got hit by Mick, he was just like, oh, man. Like... It was it was really funny because they're they're very close. Um, yeah. Sebastian Vettel is to Mick Schumer, Schumacher as Michael Schumacher was to Sebastian Vettel. It's it's just it's really funny to see, and it's really unfortunate for Vettel because he just got murdered by Mick <laughs> Schumacher. <laughs> uh, the clip from the from the backside is so damning. Yeah, it, it, it's awful. It's, I mean, it looks like he just doesn't even try to make the corner. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Maybe Mick will find a stride uh, someday. But, and 
talking about disappointments, uh, I feel like Carlos Sainz has to be mentioned. Like, I don't feel like you can not mention I mean, Carlos Sainz. I, I can't disagree with you, especially when, you know, he's currently outscored by George Russell. And... But, I mean, third place finish in Miami. He did. He has had some unfortunate events. Um, didn't he fucking Bennett in free practice three? I'm probably. I I, yeah, I know for a fact he spun at some point in time. He's had a rough go of it. No, there was uh, Australia was on him. Australia, <sighs> I'm pretty sure he just lost talent for that weekend. He just ran out of talent. Um. But I'm forgetting there. What was the race that Signs got fucking smacked? T1. We were or we were talking or I think T2. We were talking about Emma. last weekend. Or yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that I that one was was also unfortunate recent. for him. But you have to look at it from the perspective that when he does finish the race, when he is able to bring his car home, he's a significant distance behind Charles Leclerc, and. Keep in mind that I know that there are because uh, I got into an argument with a lot of Ferrari fans about this. Uh, <laughs> S- Carlos Sainz beat Charles Leclerc last year; like he finished ahead of him in the standings. So, uh, and yes, Leclerc had a very unlucky season last year, mm-hmm. but um, you know it's a part of the sport. So, uh, Carlos Sainz was able to capitalize on it, and he finished above him. But this year, his pace has just looked non-existent. Like, there have been times where he'll put in a lap and you're like, holy shit, that's quick. And then Leclerc will just smash it by five tenths. So, uh, yeah. and then his consistency is, is you know. It, well, it's it's funny because in every race that he hasn't DNF'd, he's finished right behind Leclerc. Yeah. Every, every single race, yeah. to my knowledge. Right. I'm pretty sure every single time that he has finished has been... Right behind Carlos, or right behind Carlos, right behind Leclerc. Um, Let's see. In Bahrain, he finished right behind Leclerc. It was one two. And uh, Saudi finished right behind Leclerc. Uh, in Australia, he died. Yeah. He <laughs> also died. Yep. And then in Double Miami, DNF'd. he was he was right behind. So. Yep. So I mean, you know, obviously pace wise, he's not keeping up. But in terms of the race, he's there, you know? He's and in the like, ballpark. He's in the ballpark. But my I worry... I think I see it turning around. I think the luck streak comes back. I think, you know, no more unlucky Carlos. And I'm feeling, hopefully, a little resurgence from him. Even if not, you know, I think Ferrari honestly just wants to prove that they have the fastest car, or at least is a contender for the fastest car. Well, right now, we know for a fact that Red Bull is the fastest car on the grid, yep. no matter what. Yep. Uh, we saw it in Miami, we saw it in Imola. There's just nothing that the Ferrari could do to keep up with it. Um, and mainly that stems from what I was talking about earlier with the tire degradation. But my worry for Ferrari is it's a development race against one of the brightest minds in F1. You're developing a car against Adrian Newey. And this is a guy that knows how to make cars. And let's keep in mind, Adrian Newey is one of the only people on the grid. I think he might be the only person on the grid that has prior experience with ground effect cars. So Ferrari is taking on a big challenge trying to outdevelop Red Bull and uh, and Adrian Newey. Um, but Mattia Bonato, he's he's a very bright-minded F1 as much as people won't like to admit it. He's 
he is definitely a bright mind. Um, so I'm not saying it's not doable, but right now they're on the back foot, um, mm-hmm. and they can't really afford for any more mistakes. They can't afford for they can't afford to drop the ball because if they do, Red Bull is just going to run away with this thing. Um, and that moves me on to, to my next point about the constructors, which I think at this point, I think Red Bull is going to I think Red Bull is going to win it. I think they're going to win both drivers and constructors. Um, and the reason why I think that is because I think that Red Bull is going to be able to keep up with their development. Um, and then the constructors, my whole thing is Leclerc can beat Max all he wants, but a 2-3 is better than a 1-4. So I, yep. I, I don't see signs consistently beating and Sergio Perez. I don't see it happening, well, especially not with Red Bull say, having the fastest car. What I was about to say was if you had asked me before Miami – I might have said Red Bull takes both. At this moment, it could be any iteration of both. It could be Ferrari wins drivers, Red Bull wins constructors, or vice versa, or one of them takes both. I I think genuinely at this point in the season, there's a lot up in the air. (laughs) I mean, I guess... I almost threw up on myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, you guys couldn't see it. We we gotta start recording these eventually. But uh, yes, really. yeah, Evan just uh just burped and uh, almost yacked on himself. So it's uh, we're we're doing great. We're doing awesome. But we're here. Back on to uh, back on the topic. Uh, yeah, I just don't see it happening. I I don't see it happening at all. Not even a little bit because. Again, I just think that Red Bull are going to continue to outdevelop Ferrari, and, and and let's not forget that the Red Bull is still very overweight, like very very overweight. So they're going to keep cutting back on the weight. Um, the Red Bull is going to keep getting quicker. The Ferrari is presumably also going to keep getting quicker, but by how much? That's the question. Um, and also, as I said in previous episodes, Ferrari strategists are known to just be generally incompetent when they need to be. Oh relatively that intelligent point, that brings me to a point that i forgot to bring up earlier um the issues with their tire degradation is directly uh in line with their problem in strategy and so at every race you know it, it comes worry how are they going to deal with this issue you know and are they going to be able to deal with it effectively given Leclerc's in the lead or, you know, Leclerc's right behind Verstappen, but he needs to make a pit, you know? Like, there's there's so many things that I worry about when it's Ferrari's turn to make a decision yeah, uh, that's the big during thing. the race. That's the, that's the really big thing is that strategy drives the race a lot harder than people think it does. And at Abu Dhabi. Right. Abu Dhabi. Uh, you look at you look at Spain last year where Mercedes came up with that really good strategy and snatched a lead from Verstappen. Um, I mean, there there's just so many instances where strategy uh, comes back to bite you in the ass. Lando Norris and Saatchi, for example. So strategy is a big part, especially in a long and winded title fight. It's it's a big big portion. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Ferrari is going to be able to keep up with it, especially as you mentioned with the tire degradation. That's a big problem, and they have to they have to strategize around that. They have to plan around that, and I don't think they have the brightest minds. I don't think they have the the brain power capable of at least. Do you outs- see the car that came out. You you see the car that comes out of that garage, right? Yeah, yeah. Those minds are brilliant. Yeah, uh, except 
for the last two races, they haven't looked very brilliant. <laughs> so, I mean, the car looks great. Um, <laughs> Let me push my bias on things that don't matter. They killed that one. I, I won't lie to you. They created the best-looking car on the grid by some margin. And and they said that the, you know, sorry to deviate, but they said the new paint is going to basically look the same except for, like, in high sun. So, good things. I'm glad it'll stay that red. I think that red is gorgeous. It's it's definitely the best. Sh- they they put the best shade of red that they put on an F1 car ever on the Ferrari. I mean, it's it, it's, yeah, it's absolutely so spectacular, and that red and black. I mean, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Um, and actually, you know what? Since uh, since we, I think we're we're doing pretty good on time. Yeah. No, we're not. We're actually doing terrible on time. Never mind. <laughs> I was gonna deviate. <laughs> I was gonna deviate to like a, a livery discussion, but I don't think we have the time for it. So we still have to get our predictions out for Spain. Oh, man. Okay. Real talk. Real fucking talk. Okay? Okay, I'm not going to do any agenda pushing. <laughs> but seriously. No, go on. Say what you're going to say. Leclerc first. Lando second. Max third. What the fuck? Yeah. Max third. Perez fourth. Should have stopped him. fifth. I should have stopped him. I was ahead. Jesus dead. Lord. What the fuck? Holy hot Lando, takes. Lando will be, be on the podium. That take was hotter than the surface of the sun. Lando Jesus. will be on the podium. Uh, Yeah, no, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. happen. Honestly, going to happen. I see Ferrari 1-2 for the uh, qualifying order. Yeah, I see Red too. Bull 1-2 exactly. for the race order. Uh, I don't think that happens. And here's why. is because Perez underperformed in you my got hand. that long-ass back straight. Okay. True. You got honestly, Spain is pretty fucking high speed, and uh, if there's anything the Red Bull is good at, it's high speed. So, you got that that long ass back straight, that decently sized front straight, um, and I mean the rest of the lap. Sure, there are some slow speed corners there. There's going to be a very big overtaking zone at the end of the. Um, actually, I believe they changed. I, I think it's still a good overtaking zone but i do believe that that corner was altered um but the corner right after the back straight is going to be good the whole thing is ferrari being able to stay within the drs zone of red bull i don't necessarily see that happening but uh if they do then it's going to be interesting it'll be a good race uh if red bull is able to get out of the drs they're going to run away with this thing 100 percent i think i think checo handily beats uh signs again this weekend um i think lando's probably going to come eighth or ninth i don't know signs i I like signs in spain yeah i just don't i think there's a lot of added pressure for him to perform well at a home race so i do agree with that i don't i think it's gonna grate on his nerves a bit i don't think he's gonna i don't think he's gonna be as as good Though I do think, Oakland ooh, hold on, I gotta, I gotta talk about this. So uh, I just saw an article from AutoWeek.com. The F1 Commission wants smaller cars as a part of 2026 regulations. Huh? That is huge, and here's why: these cars have been so difficult to race over the past few years because of how fucking long they are. How are you supposed mm-hmm. to pass a car that's longer than a fucking tour bus? So. For them to cut back on the size, for them to make smaller cars, that is huge for the racing in the future, and I hope that it works uh, in the way that it is intended to, because that will be absolutely awesome. Definitely have to change how the drivers sit, um, but it probably shouldn't affect too much. I mean, I don't even really think they'll have to change that much. I mean, they might have to cut down on the engine size, maybe, but... 
I really don't see all that much well, changing in the grand scheme of things. Depends on what their plans for regulation are. It's that, very that, true. That, that's actually a great development for uh, our point earlier about you know how the um, there's not really going to be much dominance over the next decade. Right. Teams are going to be working towards developing these cars now for yep. the next. Uh, I mean, maybe not this year or the year after, but once we hit 2024, things are going to really start kicking into high gear with these teams focusing on the future. For sure, for sure. It's going to be a lot less focused on the uh, the current regulations. They'll be looking to develop that 2026 car 100%. Mercedes is going to look to bounce back after starting this these regs off shockingly. And, uh, you know, it's it's really sad because Mercedes came up with probably the most interesting concept on the grid. I mean... That side podless design, it's it's got to be commended. You can't not. Yep. But I was seeing uh, seeing I, I can't remember where I saw it, so uh, don't quote me on this. And you can go ahead and say I'm speaking out of my ass. But I watched a <laughs> I watched a video in which um, they're saying that there could be two spec Mercedes cars uh, because Russell wants to go one way, Hamilton wants to go another way, and you know for car development you can't really do that. It's not going to work out. Um, mm-hmm. It would be very interesting to see Russell's car continue with the side podless design and uh, Hamilton to go back because they ran uh, a design with side pods in Barcelona. No, Barcelona is when they unveiled the uh, the side podless shit. It was in February where they brought – I think – I can't remember where that was. Anyways, winter testing. It was winter testing where they had the side pods and then for for the second testing session they didn't. And – I, I just think that it would be really, really, like, just fascinating, generally speaking, to see mm-hmm. Hamilton and Russell prevail in completely different cars. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. Um, I don't really know what it is that Hamilton's struggling with in these cars. Uh, Russell clearly seems to have a better grasp on it. Um, he is not. He's the only driver that has finished higher than fifth uh, all season long. Yep. Fifth or higher. Yeah, fifth or higher. Um Absolute, absolute. He's, he's been he's been doing incredible. As much as I hate to admit it, George Russell has been pretty pretty spot on this season. Um, no, I uh, again I, we we talk about it every episode, but George Russell really is one of the future drivers, like uh, the future all timers. Absolutely. Um, we're coming to a close on this section. We've got about another seven minutes, so we're going to move into "You're Stupid" and here's why. Presented by. Evan and Xavier. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> so, since since we're transitioning, uh, after this will be basketball. Um, there's going to be both F1 and basketball takes in here. Um, the first one of which is uh, we're not we're not going to say the at, uh, but it's the tweet is the Brooklyn Nets have officially won the Harden slash Simmons trade, and uh, immediately he answers why this is a stupid take he says neither team has won anything this year right well there's there's your that's basically it but then he says the Nets position themselves better for the future than the Sixers did and I just don't agree with that because at the end of the day both Harden and Simmons are going to lose stock no matter what uh, Simmons came back from uh, he's coming back from a decently severe back injury it seems since he had to have surgery on it and uh, we don't know if he's going to come back the same player that he was when he was good in Philadelphia. What if Simmons comes, Simmons comes out and is the same exact player he was when he left Philadelphia? What then? Right? 
So there's a lot of hypotheticals. Um, and then, I mean, Philadelphia has a better young star in Maxi, anyways. Exactly. Point, so. And with Harden being that facilitator, uh, he already said he was willing to take less than Max uh, if he to, to in order to make the team better. So if Harden comes down from his Max, um, continues to be a facilitator, a playmaker, um, and Maxi continues to develop along the way he is, I honestly think that the Sixers have ended up positioning themselves better for the future. Because obviously this Harden is not the same Harden that we saw in Houston. But, you know, I mean, Harden shows the effort. He wants to get better. He said that he wanted to, to get in shape for this team. Like, he's shown more effort for the Sixers than he has since the Rockets. And I just think that it's obscenely stupid to say that the Nets have won the Harden-Simmons trade just because they lost Game 6 against Miami. I think oh, it was yeah. it was pretty stupid. I mean, clearly... The entire team. It was it, it was the entire team was just out of it. So we're gonna go ahead and move on to the next one. This is from at Seb's B Hotel. Um, man, no offense, but putting the pressure of his name on Mick is really unfair for him. I agree that he needs to com- correct these kinds of mistakes, but comparing to his dad is just unfair. And no, it isn't because at the end of the day, as we said earlier, you are on the literally the top pedestal of motorsport. I mean, there are millions and millions of people out there that aspire to be in your shoes. And there are hundreds of drivers coming up that will readily take your place and will perform better than you. So for him to say uh, putting the pressure of his name on Mick is really unfair for him, It's he's putting the pressure of his name on himself. Nobody yeah. else is expecting him to perform like Michael Schumacher. We just want to see him do well. So I think that this is uh, another pretty piss-poor one, in my opinion, no offense. Um, I, I just think that it, it's, you know, Mick's got to step up. We said this earlier, Mick's got to step up. And I think that to say it's unfair to uh, to put the pressure on his name on him, well, no one was doing that in the first place. So, nah. on to the next one. Uh, this one is by my least favorite account on Twitter, actually. Because um, I've, I've, I've gotten into it with this guy before. Uh, genuinely my least favorite person on Twitter. It's from at Spectre underscore Harvey. And if you guys know who this guy is, he is a huge Lewis fan. And, um... A lot of you guys may not know this, especially with some of my previous comments on the podcast. Um, he is... Uh, I really, really like Lewis. I'm a fan of Lewis. and You uh, can't not respect a talent like that. And exactly. It, it, and, like, if you're a rational viewer of anything, but in general sports, um, you can be biased, but also you can, you know, recognize that you know, you enjoy the sport so much that he's just good. Yep, absolutely, 100%. There's, there's greatness, you know. And and Lewis Hamilton, I mean, he's a class act. As a human being, he is just he's a really, really good person. I think we need more people like him in the world. Um, but at the end of the day, I can't stand his fucking fans. His fans are the most annoying people on planet Earth, hands down, bar none. And I don't want to hear people out there saying, oh, but what about the Max fans? Max fans are fucking bad. But they're not Team LH bad. And um, I I posted a tweet a while back, um, and it was primarily just a shit post, just stat pad. I just wanted likes. Um, and I, I was comparing driver achievements at, a, at different ages, right? And uh, one of the comparisons I drew was to the fact that Lewis Hamilton at 24 had 11 wins. Max Verstappen has 20-some-on. Uh, and Harvey Specter replies with, 
if you put all those ciphers against the amount of races participated to get them, you'll find Max or Seb don't have that much to brag about, honestly. It took Max seven years to get a very tainted title. It took Lewis too. Naturally, the car plays a big part, but still. And here's why you're wrong. When Max Verstappen came into the sport, yes, he came in at 17. He's been in the sport for eight years. However, he came in in the middle of the most dominant era we have ever seen. He came in at he came in when he was 17, got moved up to Red Bull very quickly, and then was regularly contesting with the top two cars. The Red Bull was not fast enough to to regularly steal wins away from the Mercedes. So you have Mercedes and Ferrari scrapping at the front. Max is getting chip wins every every now and again, but not enough to win consistently. The second we see him get into a car that has the potential to contest for wins regularly, he's done it. And when he's not winning, he's finishing second. So Max didn't have the same opportunity. When you when you look at the previous drivers, Lewis came into a very dominant team, as is that Mercedes or the McLaren Mercedes team was bang on the money. They were good. That was a good team. So it for you to say that just because Max has been in the sport for for eight years, for you to say that, well, uh, you know, it's really not that impressive in comparison. No, it still is because he came in and he challenged the arguably the greatest of all time, and he came out on top. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of that take. That's uh, that's probably the worst one yet. Um, and I'm gonna try to move along quickly because we're overextending time here. Um, the next one is from at Schmick forty seven. Uh, Mix line battle close the door. Good thing Mix drove amazing today despite all that mess. And uh, if you look at the clip. Mick goes in deep uh, and doesn't make the corner. I mean, Vettel is clearly on the outside. Mick comes up and... uh, He holds a non-existent line. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And if you look at it from from the uh, the other perspective, um, just from different cameras, it was clear that Mick's line wasn't going to have him make that corner in, in the first place, even if Vettel wasn't there. So for you to say that it was Mick's line and Vettel closed the door... I think you're kind of a bit of a schmoron. Blind. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're we're gonna go ahead and throw this one in the in the in the dumpster. It's a dumpster yeah, fire. You. Bad. That's it. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck That's you. All I have to say. Agreed. Um, and the last Make one. Sure I can... I want you to weigh in on this one because I know you're gonna have a take about this one. Uh, at Trigger Thirty says, Ja has no skill besides running and dunking and being carried by free throws. So, in in. You know, we'll we'll talk about it when we get to the NBA section, and I'll try to be quick. Um, you know, you you look at all these young players uh, that come into the league, and and my my real biggest examples will be players like uh, Tyler Hero, or you know, Darius Garland's a little older. Um, but you know, these young guard players that that come in with a lot of swag, um, and people just want to hate on them for the sake of the fact that they're loud and they're you know they're good, right? And Jaw especially is one of the more unique players that we've seen in the last couple of years. Because when you look at the modern NBA, it's shooting, and it has been shooting for as long as I can almost remember. But he is explosive in the post. Exactly, and and he again, as many people say, he looks like a reincarnate reincarnation of Derrick Rose, but he's a different player, right? You know, yeah. like yeah, he dishes the ball, but he he does a lot of you know trying to. Trying to think of a word for it. He doesn't necessarily draw in gravity so much as defenses 
you know, prepare the paint for him. I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta prepare for that. You gotta right. accommodate it. You know, in the same way that you do for Giannis. Right. Because you know he's going there, and he mm-hmm. uses that to his to his advantage to try to break down defenses and get his teammates better looks and whatnot. So I don't know. I think Jaw has plenty of skill. I think Jaw is one of the best young players. I would not be surprised if he wins an MVP at some point in his career. I agree. And, and fuck this guy. Agreed. Yeah, fuck this guy. Trigger we have 30. To, probably, probably shouldn't end every single <laughs> with, tweet with, with fuck that. The, yeah, maybe yeah, not. But you know, honestly, who cares, right? Like if yeah, Trigger Thirty honestly, wants to, if he wants to get pressed about it, we'll we'll bring him onto the podcast. Like, hey, come, yeah, come have a chat with us. Um, but that's gonna wrap it up for this uh, this F one portion. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and yep. segue onto the NBA side of things. Um, so if you came to listen just for the F one portion, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Um, but here we go. Basketball. Let's go. Ooh, huge. Crazy. Um, so we'll talk about the finality of round two so far. Yeah. Miami beating Philly and six. Fuck you for mentioning that. I knew you were going to do that shit too. <laughs> you guys don't know I'm a Sixers fan. So, uh, um, I knew for a fact he was going to bring that shit up first. Well, it's the only series that's over. So, you know, I can't really, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you could have, like, mentioned it last since it was already set in stone. Like, everybody knows we lost. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the third year in a row that Philly's gone out somewhat sadly in the playoffs. Last year, literally lost Game 7 um, at home against the fucking Atlanta Hawks. And after winning Game 6 on the road. It's a um, massive win. Yeah, I I mean I like Philly, and I think that after a decent off season, that if they retool a little bit, and you know Harden stays Harden for the most part, and he just they figure out a way to gel better come next year, I think they're going to be in the same exact position they were this year. Granted, as long as Embiid stays playing the way he will, which I think he will. Um, but Miami, man. Their defense is scary, and I and I, you know, and fuck Max Strus, <laughs> undrafted. You can say whatever you'd like. Actually, former Bulls legend Max Strus, thank you very much. Um, fuck that guy. And you know, people can say whatever they want. Miami's defense is more formidable than the Celtics at the end of the day, I... because we've seen the Celtics Miami show. We saw it in the bubble. We're going to see Come it. Come on, dude. Are you really going to say we see it in the bubble? Come on, man. The fucking Bucks got swept in the bubble. I don't really think that that's a good indicator. I think there was a lot of factors going into that to that that season. I don't really factors, think that you can... Factors that impacted everybody. I am I am a big... I I use that season as citable as any other. It was, a, it was valid hoops, but it was still Fugazi at the end of the day. So... It, Whatever. Still, again, we've we've seen the show, you know. And even if we're talking, that I think the Celtics have upped their defense, honestly. Preseason. See, see, here's where I disagree with you. I and I have adamantly said that I believe that the Celtics, after the All Star game or after the All Star break, were the best team in the league, and they they showed it, and they were playing fantastic. Right. And so far, they've been playing really well. Right. However, when I saw the, I want to say, 14-point lead, 12-point lead, however much they were leading by going into the fourth, 
um, I knew they were going to lose. And, and, you know, obviously, like saying it like that sounds, you know, whatever. But I, I genuinely expected the Bucks to come back because the Celtics, more so in the playoffs, but in general, the Celtics have proven over the last couple of years, they crumble. And, and, you know, you look at um, the last few possessions of that game and primarily Marcus Smart making a bunch of bad decisions, but sometimes uh, Boston just kind of falls apart, and I don't know if they put up a bigger fight in Game 6. I hope they will. I think it'll be a good game regardless. But I do think the Bucks will take it in 6, and I think Miami-Milwaukee will be a really good Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, so uh, the Celtics are definitely winning game six there's literally no way they don't um <laughs> i'd be willing to put my i don't know house on it or something um but yeah no the the celtics they're gonna they're gonna bounce back they're gonna win game six uh game seven is a bit of a toss-up for me i honestly i think the bucks are gonna win it but i could see the mm-hmm. celtics stealing the series away and then going on to lose against the heat but yeah <laughs> uh i don't know i just think you, you, the bucks are such a scary team no matter how you look at it uh even yep. without chris middleton um, they're still just just a very scary team, and you you can't forget that. Yes, in terms of uh, the East, the Celtics are considered the premier defensive team, but the Bucks' defense is also very very good, and I think well, it could actually, be argued that it is be- the best defense in the league. To be honest, it's it's funny you say that because I mean obviously uh, I I can't remember the stat, but I know you know. Um, Defense wins championships as much as offense does. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, and you look at the top four the top four teams in every conference that made it to round two. Every single one of them, once again, the higher seed, you know, like like I said, um, whatever episode I did. Oh, the last one, which was the only NBA one. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> The Lost Vials. Every single one of these teams, all eight teams, are good defensive teams. Yeah. Dallas might be the worst defensive team but... on paper, but they're still a great defensive exactly. team. Exactly. Jason Kidd really brought that one back. Yep, absolutely. And the only reason they might be worse on paper is purely from a lack of pure or sorry, uh, from a lack of center play. Yeah, they they don't have um, the personnel. But yeah, I think there's a lot of tough battles to be seen um, until the, the finals end because I think that you know uh, Miami's hard and gritty Memphis plays gritty the Warriors play gritty defense Phoenix has defensive depth that you know reaches the end of their bench almost right. um, even though so, it didn't look like it tonight oh yeah and we'll get to that but I, I do think defense is a big story of this year's playoffs you know especially looking at um you know, the way that Utah just couldn't stop Dallas in some games and Minnesota, uh, Minnesota's lack of defense caused them to fall apart multiple times yep. and things like that. So I think it's a big story of defense this year and I think it's interesting. Um, and I was going to say we're not seeing a lot of high scoring games, but that will take me to the Western Conference. Warriors Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah. May 13th. Bit of fucking roller coaster that one has. Wow. So three one, I thought, eh, Warriors probably gonna close it out, even if it's on the road. No jaw, you know the the Grizzlies played great without jaw this season. And, historically, yeah. Right, historically great, and I was 
shocked to say the least, when I woke up from my nap and the Grizzlies were up by 50. 103.56 at one point. Yeah. Absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. I don't know what happened. I wish I had watched the game. <laughs> I don't know what happened I either. don't know what happened. I turned on the game, and the bench players played the rest of the game that I watched. <laughs> I mean, so we've got uh, Stephen Curry with 14 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds. Um, and then Clay Thompson is 19, um, 1 assist, and, and, and 3 rebounds. So from there... From their key players, uh, there wasn't much in the way of resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there were just uh, – the scoring spread for the Grizzlies um, was very, very good. I mean, Tyus Jones, 21 points. Desmond Bain. Tyus had 20? Yeah, 21 points. I mean, that makes, I mean, that makes sense. Cause and nine assists. Man almost had a double-double. Tyus yeah. Jones almost had a double-double yeah. in the playoffs it does, against – Desmond Bain Holy put up twenty one, and then Jaron Jackson Jr. also put up twenty one with eight rebounds. If Stephen if Adams you, had thirteen rebounds that game, yes, yeah, but actually, but Stephen Adams, I think he finished the game as a minus one, which is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> which is fucking crazy. I I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> that means he literally, when he was on the court, the Warriors outscored them by a point. I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know what he did. But regardless, um, if you had told me three years ago, or four maybe, that Tyus Jones would have gotten a 20-point near double-double against the Golden State Warriors in the second round of the playoffs, I probably would have punched you. <laughs> like it, like you, That's you a fair could, response at the end of the day. You could never say something so stupid to me. And and make me like not angry, but it happened. Yeah, no, it happened. Like that was the thing that that occurred. That's a stat line. And not to you know, no no disrespect to Tyus Jones. It's you know was a good prospect coming out of college and stuff. But you know, Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones. Um, Tyus Jones. You know, but I do think going into Game Six. (sighs) See, when you go back to Golden State. I feel like they're taking it in Chase of... Center. They're taking it in Chase Center. I don't care. Yeah, it's just what yeah. it's just what's gonna happen. That's that's what I think too, and I think that because I think Mem- the Memphis team is so young. Jaw was in college, actually. He would have been in high school. Watching the Warriors dominate. Yeah. That's gotta be. I mean, that's I, crazy well, I guess, to think about. Holy shit! I guess you know it's somewhat. Jaw's not playing. But the sentiment goes for a lot of that Memphis team. A lot of them are young. Right. You know, it's ripe in their minds how dominant this Warriors team is with a lot of the same players. Mm-hmm. I say a lot of, three of the same players. I mean, three of the core that you need, right? Right. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of pressure stepping into Chase Center. And Draymond Green is, is still a very good defender. Absolutely. But boy, oh boy, has he been getting loud recently. <laughs> yeah, he has a bit. Here's a bit. Not that I minded it's Draymond, but yeah, you know, man, he's getting pretty loud. I'm I'm gonna side with with JJ Reddick's uh, point of view on uh, on the level of play. I, I think it's kind of silly to be like, just shut up and play. Well, not I not necessarily on that point, but like, 
when it comes to the foul calls and stuff, like, now, I see plenty of players every every single game, you know, it's a bad foul call or they feel like the foul call was bad. But at that point, it's kind of a part of the game. Slam, well, well, I feel a strong difference between slamming the ball down and being loud as opposed to what I saw Draymond do, I want to say, um, game, yeah, game four. Jumped up and down and then did like a lap around the court, <laughs> which is fine. Again, I get it. I just feel like he does too much sometimes, and I feel like I get it. You know, he's a very but he's always player. done too much. I know. I agree with that. Get old, please. <laughs> you know, I, I I love seeing him, and I think that the Warriors, no matter what, I know. I get it. You see a game like the Warriors had, and you're like, how could some or you know how could a team that's going to win the championship have a game like that? Uh. The Bucks got blown out by 40 last playoffs. So, it happens. Right. Shit happens. Exactly. It <laughs> happens. Um, I still put the Warriors as my West favorite at the moment. Um, but talking about the West, I honestly, this is why I should rewatch the episodes that we uh, record. Because I don't remember. I, I think I'm pretty sure I was pretty adamant about a 5-1 Five one, four one Phoenix win, uh, on this series. I think I also sided with you on that one. You might you might have said four two. You might have because you know the Dallas fan and you really. um, They're still my West team. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm so proud of that team. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm proud of that team. Proud of Jason Kidd. Mm -hmm. Proud of the whole organization. Mm -hmm. It is. Like I don't, I don't think many. I, I'm surprised many people aren't talking about it. It is astonishing that they are one the fourth seed, and two going to Game Seven against the reigning Western Conference champion. Like they, it's a 64 crazy. win team. Crazy. I mean, Phoenix had 12 more there wins. There is than no the second season. star on that Dallas team. Nope. Not a single second star. Uh, I guess you could argue Jalen Brunson. You well, so again, if you're if you're comparatively talking, sure. But in terms of you know, um, well, you consider like a star player. No, you have Luca. You have Luca and a lot of gritty, hungry players. Right. That team is unbelievable to me this year. I was again shocked that they got the four seed. Um, they beat Utah pretty handily for not having Luka right. for a couple of games. Right. I'm blown away, and I'm super excited about it because I love Dallas. I Me mean, too. Just as, yep. a, just as one of those, you know, just enjoying basketball, and I like to see Luka do well. If Dallas wins Game 7, which I do not think they will do. I don't think they will either, especially going back to Phoenix. Right, agreed. But if they do win... I almost see a dark horse run for them making the finals. And you know what? I'm 100. If they win against the Suns, they're going to the finals. I, and, I I could see it happening. And that sounds crazy because you think about it. If the Mavs teams, if the Mavs team makes the finals, I don't think they beat Boston. Nope. I don't think they beat Miami. Nope. I don't think they beat the Bucks. Nope. But for some reason, and I don't know if it's because I was alive and actively witnessed 
the 2011 season when, you know, uh, Dirk carried them all the way by himself, pretty much. Um, I mean, it was Dirk and J.J. Barea, but uh, I, I see the same thing. It's like It's like watching history repeat itself. You know, when the Mavs made the finals in 2011 and they won and Dirk carried them there, they had one of them – they had a really hard run. They had to, I think, beat the Lakers, the Spurs, like the best teams at the time. You right. Know? Um, and I see a little bit of the same thing in this Dallas team, you know, still in Dallas. I mean, but, there's yeah. a lot of want in the eyes of It's right, exactly. It's a hungry team. It's a hungry team. And Luka is, for lack of any other word – unstoppable he's absolutely incredible and there's no way that you can deny it he's phenomenal and I'm waiting for it I'm I'm waiting for the day that you know um, he wins that MVP because it is inevitable yep I I see no doubt in my mind that he you know is, is going to absolutely at least take one or two home with him um but keep in mind Luca is leading that series in points, rebounds, and assists for both teams. God damn, that's crazy to think about. That mm-hmm. is crazy. He's basically averaging a, a 32-point double-double with seven and a half assists if you round the rebounds up by a tenth or two. Um, but... I don't know. I just, you know, again, the lack of real center play for the Mavericks really puts them in tough spots in crunch time because I mean, Dwight Powell at really center rely on Aiden. Yeah, Dwight Powell at center is, is shocking. And then Boban Marjanovic, like, I love the guy, but I love Boban. You know, he's, he's is, just... is Bobby even getting good minutes right uh, now? He played two he minutes. Just came back. Played two minutes today. Woo! Two yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, I, I they they just don't have centers. They don't have a center. And there was something uh, that I was talking to about um, one of my friends on Twitter, uh, where he was talking about, um, like you know, landing potentially Rudy Gobert in um, in Dallas. And I was just having a thought: um, Jokic and Luca on the same team would be unstoppable. There okay. would be nothing you could do about it. I. Almost, I either maybe I'm deja vuing. I feel like we've had this conversation before, where in the fact that those are two players that their control over the entire dynamic of the floor. Exactly. Also, speaking of, since we haven't yet, Jokic winning the MVP. I know, as a Sixers fan, we might have wanted Embiid to win it. I wanted Embiid to win it, but I knew Jokic deserved it at the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, there's just no I way mean, around that. He he deserved I'm the MVP. I'm a firm believer, and I was going to say this actually when we were talking about the Celtics, and sorry to deviate, but NBA awards, I mean, unless given, like, obviously if a player plays like five to ten games, there's that's a different matter, I guess. But like, like Bam, and I'm not saying Bam should have won DPOI, but Bam missed 26 games I think this year and Bam is a fantastic defender but he people wouldn't even consider him for the sake of the fact that he missed so many games I think we in you know the MVP race and things like that we have to overlook how many games these players miss at least you know even if they miss half the season the games that they are there 
if they are the most valuable player, I think there has to be a sort of objective rationale towards that, you know? I don't know. And I guess, I, but in order to be the most valuable player, you also have it. to be played. I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. Um, uh, but I don't know. How many games did Jokic miss this year? It wasn't many. I know it wasn't many. I definitely uh, couldn't tell you that stat off the top of my head. Uh, how many games did Jokic miss? I don't need to know how many field goals he missed. <laughs> okay, stat muse. Fucking awful. Terrible. Pretty bad. Um, so he didn't miss too many games. He only missed eight. Um, but I don't know. Stuff like DPOI where, where like, I don't know. Um, and forgive the shout out, but I was required by the girlfriend. Uh, you know, Caruso missed a lot of days. You know, he missed a lot of games this year. And Caruso deserves to be on the all-defensive first team. Sure. It I should be Marcus that. Smart, Alex Caruso, and then I don't give a fuck. Sure. That's, that's fair. I can side with that. But uh, definitely that's not all. DPOY. There's just absolutely no well, way. Well, that's not, that's not, that wasn't my point. I was <laughs> he could win it someday. Maybe. Well, we'll see. How old is he? 27? Oh, he's actually way younger than I thought. He's that uh, bald at 27? Damn. Oh, he's 28. He was he was balding. He was balding coming out of college. He was bald. Eh, balding coming out of coming out of Texas A&M. I'll tell you what, it's a shiny ass head. He's a bright ass <laughs> player. <laughs> um. So I uh, I want to go back onto the topic of uh of the the Suns and the Mavericks. Um. I mean, for the Mavericks to take this Suns team in particular all the way. To a game seven, I mean that's that's absurd. That's something that I would have never predicted in a million years. Um, and Chris Paul had a fucking atrocious night. I mean it was shocking. Uh, <laughs> tonight was. Um, but then, you know, you, you, I was gonna say, here's the thing. I know he shot well, but he didn't pass the ball well. No, he had four assists. Uh, I don't know how many turnovers he had. I know Devin Booker had eight turnovers. I know that for a fact. Because anti-Devin Booker agenda over here, Mr. Zach Levine fan. It's fair. It's very fair. Um, But if Chris Paul is not giving you 9, 10, 11 assists a night, I don't think the Suns team has it in them to, to make the finals again. I agree. I, and that's that was my point, is that if, if Chris Paul can't, you know, continue to dish out at that level. You can't continue to facilitate that way. Um, the the Suns just aren't going to do it. There's just no the way. The best player for them in this series should be DeAndre Ayton day in, day out. Mm-hmm. And that was what happened tonight. He had a great game. He had, uh, I know he had a double-double. I don't know what the stats were exactly. 21 points, double. 11 rebounds. Yeah, um, and he shot, I want to say 63%, 62, 61, 60-something. 60 shot 60%. Um, and so, again, he has to be your best player. So, like, it, and what's important Every night against this Dallas team, and almost in general, because, yeah, you want Devin Booker to score. But also, DeAndre Aiden is your powerhouse in the paint, and there's a lot of teams uh, coming up in the West that don't have big center play 
You look at the Warriors, not a, not a lot of center play. Whichever team that they are looking forward to in the Western Conference Finals, given they make it there, the Suns are facing a team that, again, DeAndre Ayton has to shine against, so they really need to work him into that main role now so they can get amped for the Western Conference Finals, given they get there. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I just don't think, I, like, especially with... Spencer did what he, uh, stepping up the way that he has, playing the way that he has, um, basically since he got traded. Um, and Jalen Brunson has also been, been very, very solid. Um, and you know, as much as I hate to admit it, uh, Maxi Kleba has not been useless. So he is one of the better defenders on this Dallas team. Unfortunately, you're at right. At the moment, unfortunately, at you're the right. Moment, you're right. He is. You're right. Him and Dwight are doing a lot on the defensive end around the rim. For sure. For sure. Um and and that's 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 primarily is the fact that they're able to develop this defense, uh, to put this much defensive pressure with the personnel they have is is very, very impressive. And even though Maxi Kleba may not shoot the best, um, he is definitely a big defensive presence. So um as unlikely as it is I don't think that a Mavs uh, upset is completely out of the realm of possibility. Oh, no. I, I absolutely agree with you. I Especially on how the series has progressed so far, I think Dallas is a real chance. I'm just generally but speaking. I do, at the end of the day, think Phoenix is just more experienced, and they do have the better team, clearly. And the better coach. So, even though Jason Kidd's done oh, a, absolutely. a damn well job. Jason, um, you know, and, and to harp on that point, Jason Kidd, Every single person that I saw, at least publicly, was puzzled by that sign. Oh, yeah, no. Um, Literally everyone was like, what the fuck is this? And I understood it, especially after his um, previous resumes. But I wasn't against it because I like the former former players as coaches experiments going on around the NBA a lot right now. You know, Steve uh, Nash has done a terrible Meyer, job. Steve Nash. Well, yeah, but uh, I think that's, by and large, the players he has on his team and less his fault. I think he's just a little complacent. Um, with, like, Jason Kidd. Uh, you know, when he was in Milwaukee uh, and developing a young Giannis, he was fucking hilarious. He's a terrible coach. I'm pretty sure he was the one that spilled... Uh, purposefully spilled water on the court as a free timeout <laughs> because he didn't have any more timeouts, so he spilled water on the court so he had to clean it up so he could get a free timeout. I'm pretty sure that was him. Might be wrong. Um, but yeah, I love Jason Kidd. And I think that, you know, although I was confused by it too, I wasn't mad about it. And he has proved everybody wrong. Everyone. And I think that a lot of people need to realize that no matter what, you know, when it comes to basketball, when it comes to the NBA, a solid, like, just a, a team with a lot of chemistry and a team that's solid all around has a chance against teams that are star power built, you know, at the end of the day. And although, you know, you look at the teams that Dallas is facing, and Phoenix is very well-rounded, and Utah is what you would consider well-rounded. Um, so I guess it's not necessarily star power versus Dallas in that way, but, you know, Dallas has just proven that at the end of the day, it, it just comes down to more like the uh, the style of play, right? It's it's their play style. It's their it's the 
the plays that they run with Luca at the helm that are mm-hmm. pushing them past their limits as a team. And so, like back when you were saying earlier, he, he just like, I mean, his vision on the floor is incredible. And the way that he's able to just kind of whip shit up like that on the fly. Um, I mean, he never misses an open man. So, right. He's, and the thing is, is when he is not shooting well, which is not frequent, but it's, you know, it happens from time to time. And it, it happened tonight. I think, he shot, you know, 40 percent's not bad. But I think he shot forty something. Percent. They'd still have yeah, thirty three points. But exactly, that's what I was about to say. He gets up volume. Yeah. And when you're putting up volume, and you're getting rebounds like he does, mm-hmm. and you're dishing to your teammates the way he does, and you're playing a team that has you know people like Devin Booker, who is known to chunk up some shots, you know you you have the ability to do that. And especially against the Warriors or even the Grizzlies, Luka will have the chance to put up as many shots as he wants. Even if he's, you know, making 40% of them, he will probably be scoring 30 day in, day out at this point. Yep. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think I think the, the Mavericks, and then God forbid they get a second star in their team. I really don't want to know what, what that team would do with more depth. Um, yeah. Because oh, yeah. the Mavericks, I mean, they just have the potential to be so, so, so super scary. Um, what I uh, this is this is going to be a bit of a jump. Um, what I want to talk about is the Heat seventy six series. Um, and uh, basically, what I'm going to say is, we all knew Miami was going to win this one. Sure. Yeah. We all knew Miami was going to win this one. But whether it be the the virtue of you believing in Miami or being a realist in the fact that Embiid was injured, it's it's it was primarily the fact that. You know, Embiid going into this series, you know, he missed him for the first two games. And going down 2-0 against a, a Miami team, that's never a good thing, ever. Yep. Um, so, going down 2-0 like that. And then they came back, and uh, they won with him in Game 3. Um, but even when he came back, it was very clear that at best, Joel Embiid was maybe 65%, probably closer to 50 The The, the orbital fracture was not the in, it was not the problem the orbital fracture I mean as you said before um, not on podcast but you said to me um, players play through orbital fractures all the fucking time mm-hmm. so uh, the thumb was definitely the biggest problem there um, yeah oh yeah and you could see it in his shooting right he he was relying a lot on getting up quick shots whereas Embiid likes to use his footwork a lot yeah and the clip that I actually I mean I was watching it live but it was a clip that went around on Twitter when Bam blocked him. Um, because Bam blocked Embiid. I think it was either before halftime, third quarter. Embiid put up a shot a lot earlier than he would have. He didn't like, you know, he didn't try to pivot around. He just put the shot up because he was like, he saw the lane and he wanted to go for it. I think he just wasn't confident in the fact that he could outwork his opponent at that speed. You know, right? And just and injuries are gonna do that to a player, and it sucks that it had to happen when it did. Um, it does suck, but you know, at the end of the day, it is it's a part of the game. You know, it's unfortunate right, and, and shit like that's just unfortunate. And we're, we're fortunate to know that the injury on Joel Embiid isn't something like, and very very sad that this happened today. Yeah. Um, Danny Green, um, with his oh, knee injury, yeah, it was a- absolutely soul shattering. Um, and I really I, do hope that it's not I that severe. Have to watch that. Yeah, I, I really hope it's not that severe because um, this injury very well could be career ending. Um, and as a Philly fan, I love Danny Green. Uh, no matter how much shit I talk about him, I love Danny Green. 
and it, it's just really unfortunate um, in his case. I uh, hope that he can heal up okay. But with Joel Embiid, yes, he did have the thumb injury. Um, Ooh, so I just that, watched it. Fucking Christ. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's bad. It's, it's bad. All of Embiid on the knee is not a good thing. Oh, that's a big man. Too. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not he's not a small boy. Um, Shit. But he, yeah, Joel Embiid. I mean, the thumb we knew was not going to get better unless he had surgery. We knew he needed surgery for it, but we knew that it wasn't going to get worse. So, Joel Embiid's injury is very much something that he's going to come back from. He's probably going to play at the same level next year, if not higher. Um, but holistically, over the series, I think with what the Sixers had, I don't really think you can be disappointed with them taking it to Game Six. Um, oh, yeah. From my perspective, I thought that it was going to be over in five. I thought that it may even be a sweep. But, um, I mean, just looking at the whole picture, uh, Doc Rivers was clueless. He didn't know how to adjust to the Miami Miami Heat at all. He had so the n- Miami anything. <laughs> yeah, the Miami anything. Defense, offense, he had no idea what he was doing. Um, and then Tobias Harris, while he was pretty hot in the first two games, fell off at the end of the series after Embiid came back. And, um, I mean... Which is interesting. It is very interesting. And... James Harden, don't need to talk about him. Uh, really good showing, and I believe it was game four. But since in, then... In the fourth, he scored 13 or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, he just uh, hasn't looked like the same player. I mean, tonight he had 11 points. And as someone that has put up 60-point games before, it's a bit of a drop-off. I'm not going to lie. But um, Well, it's funny because Embiid said it. Embiid... Uh, there, I'm probably not going to be able to find the um, the quote for the most part. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. He said, obviously, I'm sure since we got him, everybody expected the Houston James Harden, but that's not who he is anymore. He's more of a playmaker. Um, but, you know, it's true. And I think people didn't want to realize that no, they, you know. they. It was almost like they were in denial, like Harden being a facilitator. No way. But yeah, even even when he had that thirty-one point game, everyone was like, "He's turning back the clocks." Guys, relax. He yeah, put up thirty it, points. I don't think he's. I, I don't think he's. And, and this might be, you know, uh, maybe out of my way, but I don't think that he'll really be a forty-point scorer. I don't think he's gonna put up forty-point night like. Next year, I don't see any more than maybe two or three 40-point nights from him. Maybe. Maybe. You know? If even that. I, I do think it, it'll take a lot of off-season work for him to be comfortable with what he has to do to to make that team work. But I really do think it's possible. You know, immediately I was like, James Harden, even if he's not putting up points like that, he draws gravity. Right. You need to use him and Embiid almost every time down the floor. Also, th- this, is, this is pretty unrelated. Um his step back has to be one of the most iconic moves in the NBA. Um, but okay, first, it, well, for better but, or worse. But, but the, the reason why I say this is because it doesn't make sense. Every single time he's about to do a step back, he dribbles in between his legs a couple of times. Every single time. Yep. It's like a yep. telltale sign he's about to do the step back. So I don't know why he keeps doing that. Sa- like every single time he shot a three, I don't think I saw him shoot it off the dribble. I don't think I uh, – or like I, I don't think – I saw him shoot anything other than a step back three. So it's like, sure, at the end of the day, that's a shot that he's comfortable with that he can nail. But the other team is going to know. The other team is mentally ready for it. I mean, the other team is 
watching you set up for your step back. So yeah. Besides, besides, uh, again, wh- whichever game he he went off in the fourth quarter for, uh, Miami guarded him really well. Yeah. No. I do remember in that in that absolutely. game that he went off, he popped a three and got fouled. Yeah. Uh, like again, he he could do what he could do, but um. That's the other thing about James Harden. He's very good at drawing the foul. Very, he's always been yeah. good at that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And has, Had to have has a fucking always. rule created because of uh, how, how good he is at, at drawing the contact. But, <laughs> but yeah, they weren't being as aggressive as they should No, have they weren't. I mean, Philadelphia just looked soft. And I think that's primarily the, uh, the problem with Doc Rivers is that he doesn't have that killer, like, winning mentality. He doesn't have the the ferocity that is needed to win in the NBA. I mean, you look at the Heat team, that's a team that is extremely well coached. I mean, extremely well coached. You, you have Monty Williams on the on the Suns, and I'm not going to be, be able to remember his name, um, but the, the coach for the Bucks. he's, I mean, all of those teams are coached very, very well. So, it's, it's just, I don't see the 76ers going any further uh, than the second round every single time. Purely because of Doc Rivers, um, I think that Doc Rivers is is honestly uh, the thing that is setting the 76ers back at the end of the day. Um, yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I I do think that uh, it's not necessarily like a big need for them to try to replace Doc soon, but it just does not seem like he's in a good position with them. And I what don't think Philly needs is an asshole on their team. That's what Philly needs. Philly needs a <laughs> dick. Philly needs a Draymond Green on their team. That's what they need. Because the thing is... They they do need a sort of enforcer. They're all so fucking soft. I mean, they're all so, like, just, just friendly and lovable. Like, none of them have, like, a killing mentality. And that's mm, why yeah. Jimmy leaving the, the Sixers was such a big blow. Because Jimmy off the rip has just been a fucking dog like you picked Tobias over me <laughs> and he, I, when he said that I mean I was like you're goddamn oh. right you're goddamn right you're fucking absolutely ridiculous the fact that the Sixers let him go um, I think that if Jimmy Butler was on the Sixers team today they probably would have won a championship by now but oh it, maybe it, it's just like but I, I know a lot of management there were there was rumors that management didn't uh, want to uh, run well not only that but there the management was being a, being a dickhead to him and and they prioritized Ben Simmons over him mm-hmm. um pretty much off the rip so it, it it was the fact that even though Jimmy Butler went through that he still wants to come back to Philadelphia just shows how much love he has for Embiid which is completely off topic but it was just something that mm-hmm. I was thinking about um but yeah no J- Jimmy Butler incredible player uh, incredible, incredible player. Um, and seeing him just absolutely kick our shit in, I can't even be mad about it. Like, he's so fun to watch. Um, he talks his shit, he backs it up. And, uh, you know, I, it hurts knowing that what could have been. But um, I don't think I would rather him... I don't. I, I like seeing his success. Um, and uh, someone... And this is... This is Kind of I mean, jumping all over the Jimmy place B. here. That's my boy. Yeah, Max Struess. <laughs> really, just the depth uh, that the Heat have. It, it's absolutely astonishing. And you have PJ Tucker, who is an efficient three-point shooter, um, more efficient than people know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he actually um, leads from one of the corners. I don't know which one. I'm not sure if he still does. It's the. I'm pretty sure it's 
the right corner. He leads from a corner, to my knowledge. Yeah, I I, I, I know for he, yeah he's a very pro- proficient shooter from three, and his defense is still very very good. Yep. So he's still a very good defensive player, and playing on a Bucks team which was very defensive when he was playing on them, um, it's it's definitely helped his play come along further. Bam Adebayo, obviously incredible defender, um, and you have players like Max Struess who come off the bench Bulls and just Max they just fucking he nails it. I mean, pretty but like. Struess off the bench, incredible, incredible spark. And then you have... I'm still so sad that... I mean, obviously, we, we couldn't have known what he would have become. But, again, just he was on the Bulls first. We yeah. were the team that picked him up uh, when when he went undrafted. And he played two games for us. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, Actually, one of the players we really could have used. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, no, he, he's doing incredible. Um, and then... Victor Oladipo, while he's not necessarily been the most efficient um, point scorer, he's, his he's presence on the floor, back. yeah, his yep. presence on the floor has been very, very massive yeah. for them. Um, one thing I I keep seeing, which has confused me, Duncan Robinson, he's not playing. I I, I mean he is just very, very little. Um, After he, how much they paid him, that shit's crazy. He played four minutes tonight. Um, and I actually, I actually didn't know he was getting minutes. I think he's supposed to be one of if one of the best three point shooters in the league. Ah, okay. So, you know, because uh, every time the fucking announcers talk about Duncan Robinson in the uh, in the game, they're always like, "He's one of the mm-hmm. most uh, proficient three point shooters we've ever seen." So he is, and it's true. Uh, at the age that he's at. He he's on trajectory. If he keeps hitting the amount of threes that he does each season, he will beat Steph's record, just because of how young he is. And I think he's the youngest player to hit 500 threes or whatever it is. I don't know Duncan Robinson's stats, but I do know that he's been having a fucking awful season. And I say awful, but that's probably a, a way over exaggeration. He's been disappointing because again, they paid him 80 million dollars over four years. I want to say, like he's getting a big contract. Right. And he, it's like one game, he'd go eight of nine from three. Next game, he'd go 0 for five. Game after that, two for seven. Game after that, seven for nine. Like, very inconsistent. I just don't think, and he's he's a minus on defense. So I think, you know, Eric is making a good choice by not putting him in. And Spolstra also deserved recognition for coach of the year. Spolstra has had a great year coaching. For sure. Um. But I just don't think he wants to risk putting somebody who's that inconsistent in there unless they're like they need it. They need the spark plug. You know what I mean? Because which look is something at his last which is something games. we might see them uh, pull out as sort of a trump card against like uh, the Bucks mm-hmm. or the Celtics. Oh, it, it would be more so against the Bucks just based on how much three pointers the Bucks let their opposing team shoot. But right. I do think I mean because again Duncan Robinson's last five games right. Uh, against Philly, he shot 1-3 and missed it. Another game against Philly, he shot three of them and made one. Another game <laughs> against Philly, he didn't shoot at all. Game against Atlanta, he shot five and missed them all. Another game against Atlanta, he shot one and made that one. That's it. So He's know, been delivering for the boys. I mean, again, in that one Atlanta game where he shot five, he shot five threes in 12 minutes and missed all five of them. And, again, that's your three-point specialist. So, at some point, you just kind of have to, 
You have to treat it like a secret weapon, you know? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting to see because I've, yeah, I've never – I, I really only started watching basketball this year. Um, and I've never watched Duncan Robinson. So hearing all this legend around him is kind of like, Oh dude, it makes me, it it actually makes me want to shoot myself. White boy's so good at shooting. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's fine, but like, God damn that smug ass face. Every time that ball goes in, (laughs) my problem is I I don't like Kevin Herter. Kevin Herter pisses me off. Oh dude. It's the, it's the redness. It, it's not only the redness, but the fact that he put us to bed in Game 7 at home. Not a fan of that. Um, anyways, uh, we're overextended all the time. I didn't realize that we ran Ooh. all the way up like that. Um, so we're going to go ahead and quickly bang out the predictions. Game 6, Celtics, Bucks, who wins it? Uh, uh, definitely Bucks. Bucks and 6. It's going to be Celtics. Celtics are going to win by 10. Game's going to go to Game 7. Grizzlies, Bye. Warriors. Game 6, who wins it? Warriors, Warriors by 10. 25 warriors by 20 um <laughs> game seven maverick Suns. who wins Dude, it real talk dallas by six luca has 42 11 and nine i'm going out on a limb here mavericks by two um yeah i think it's gonna be real close yeah no all right perfect we're set in stone that's it we're locked Alrighty. in all righty thank you for listening to the second portion of the boxed out podcast this was our second version of the nba if you enjoyed it I hope you tune in next time, and we will see you next week. This is me, Evan, and me, Xavier. Xavier. Yeah, signing out. We'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hopefully, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Yo.